Thank you, Mr. Truck. There goes, there goes that message. Eh? Good morning, everyone. In uh, Cambodia, we have a way to uh, greet people. If I could get this thing on. There we go. And uh, if you'll, well, first of all, you turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 37. Put your fingers there, and then you could move to Genesis chapter 50. But um, in Cambodia, there's a, there's a certain way to greet people. And usually when you, when you come up to preach, you, you do this kind of greeting. <clears throat> and if you know anything about Asian culture, there's a lot of respect involved. So if, if you do this, that's, that's the lower respect. This is for, like, kids. You know, if you go a little higher, that's, that's for um, people that you know, right? You guys know this. Um, you go a little higher, it's for older adults, you know, and the priests. And then you got the king. And then you got God up here, you know. So every time you see Christopher do this, that's when Nicole's coming by. So that's his greeting for her. <laughs> Genesis chapter 50. We'll start reading towards the end of the chapter. Genesis chapter 50. Start reading verse 18. This is life of Joseph. And it says here in Genesis 50, verse 18, And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly to them. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 tells us, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are to call according to his purpose. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, for this time to give the testimony you've given to me, Lord. I pray that you would speak to the young people here in front of me. I pray that you would uh, do what I can't, God, and that's convict. Please encourage. Lord, please challenge. Lord, please help me to speak the things that you want me to speak, nothing less and nothing more. We'll give you the praise for it. In your name we do pray. Amen. It's very good to be here and uh, to be able to present a message that I hope will be both a challenge and an encouragement. So when I was asked to incorporate my testimony, I was very glad. Um, I felt like Paul, when he stood uh, before Agrippa, and Agrippa told him, uh, you are free to speak for yourself. And uh, Paul said, I'd be, I'd be glad to. Um, please listen carefully, as some of you have never heard my story, and none of you, including the older folks here, have never heard it completely. This is a story of God's grace and his providence. It began in 1970 in the country of Cambodia. Now, for some of you guys that are kind of geography illiterate, Cambodia is not in Africa, as someone, th someone thought when I came here in 1998. Uh, this country is in Southeast Asia, right in the middle of Thailand, Laos, and Vietnam. During the 1970s, Cambodia was in the middle of a horrific civil war with the communist Cambodians known as the Khmer Rouge, and that is French for Red Cambodians, fighting against the nationals. 
My mom and dad were married in May of 1971 during this war. My dad was recruited, and he had no choice to join the communists. You might ask, why did your dad join the communists? Well, at that time, you either join them or you get killed. One of my great uncles, who didn't want to join, the communists took him <clears throat> out and killed him with a jagged branch of a sugar palm tree. They did not want to waste bullets. About a year after they were married, my oldest sister was born. And my father saw her only a couple times as he had to go to different battles. And at six months old, she passed away due to having enough, not having enough food. My oldest brother was born in January of 1974. And at only 10 days old, he also passed away due to malaria. About a year and a half later, on April 17, 1975, the communist Cambodians, led by a man named Pol Pot, finally defeated the national Cambodians, and he took over the capital. It has been said that when he took it over, it was the first time in history a person ordered a genocide against his entire country. Money, personal property, religion were all banned. This time frame has been called, as some of you might have heard, the killing fields. During his reign from eight from April 1975 until January of 1979, 20 to 25% of the population were killed. This would be like saying 70 to 80 million Americans dying in a four-year span today. The most infamous torture site, Pastor Mitchell and I were there last year, called Tuslang. Originally it was a grade school and got converted to a torture site saw roughly 18 to 20,000 people tortured and killed there in unimaginable ways. Only around 12 people made it alive. The communist Cambodian's slogan throughout this time period was to keep you is no profit, to kill you is no loss. When he took over the country, he forced all the population who lived in the cities to work out in the countryside as slaves. You know, communism is only good for those that are at the top. And it's very sad that so many people today, especially young people, are brainwashed to believe that communism slash socialism is good. People were killed due to disease, hard labor, and starvation. He would kill people that were educated. Even those that had glasses, he would kill. Towards the end of 1978, the communist Cambodians attacked communist Vietnam, and in doing so, Vietnam invaded Cambodia and drove them away to the mountains bordering Thailand, defeating them in January of 1979. I'll give you all these dates so you could keep up with what we're going to talk about at the end. Right after this defeat, my mom and dad, along with a group of around 100 villagers, had to flee uh, due to my dad and many of the villagers being in the communist army. For months, they wandered night and day. They wandered during the night, hid during the day, traveling all over the countryside. Every once in a while, getting shot and bombed. When they heard about refugee camps being set up on the border at Thailand, they all determined to reach those camps. <clears throat> they could not take the main roads to get there, as the enemy soldiers would find them, and every main road was landmined. 
It is estimated that at that time, there were more landmines than there were people living in Cambodia. So my dad and my mom, at this time, pregnant with me. Talk about a bad time to be pregnant. Had to travel through the woods and jungles to get to those camps. And so, it was in this background of war, turmoil, and despair that my mom gave birth to me. I was born in September of 1979. Not sure about the date. We didn't have an iPhone at the time to look up. Because of this, I do not have a birth certificate. Ladies, there were no hospitals, no nurses, no doctors, no medicines, fresh sheets. I didn't even get a diaper bag for my mom and I. We had one episode of fleeing the soldiers when my mom had me in a bundle. And in the process of running for our lives, she dropped me and almost didn't realize that she did. She had a bundle of pots and pans in one hand and another bundle of me. And as you could tell, the pot and pans were more important. <laughs> there was another episode, Pastor Mitchell didn't know about this, where my mom in the pouring monsoon rain. Now you think you get rain here, there's lots of rains in Cambodia. Monsoon rain. That they had to cross a stream and there was a branch that fell down and she had to crawl through that on that branch to get across. But this time, she did not drop me, fortunately. And then this picture here, um, you can see, that's my brother and I. We're in a refugee camp in Thailand. That's the hut that we stayed in right behind us. And we, uh, finally, we reached the camps. And within five years, my three other siblings were born. We lived in a one-room hut, along with tens of thousands of other refugees. While in the camp, there was a program to settle refugees in different countries, mainly America, France, and Australia. Ironically, my parents didn't want to go. They wanted to find their parents and rebuild their lives back in Cambodia. But God had other plans. My dad was a very resourceful man. He would sell vegetables that he planted and sugar snacks to the people there. One day, as he was walking back home, someone asked him if he saw his name on the immigration papers. He said, no, I didn't even apply. Well, someone had registered his name, and he was approved to come to America. After talking all over my mom, they decided to seek for a better life here in America. And as you see here, these pictures was taken, were taken when we were ready to come to the States. Towards the end of 1985, we had people sponsor us to migrate here to Nashville, Tennessee. We came here in January of 1986, and it was cold. <laughs> my uncle and his family also came with my family. We all stayed in a house that our sponsor rented for us. And I remember every weekend, they would come and knock on our door, and they would ask all of us, and you know, particularly me, I was the oldest at six years old, what do you want? What do you want? You know, what do you want? And the only English word I knew at the time was eggs. I don't know why I knew eggs. <laughs> eggs. I wish I had known money or something. <laughs> My dad immediately started a job at a nearby hotel. 
that my uncle still has his ID tag from. And we lived in Nashville for three months. Sadly, my father passed away. And we'll talk about this at the end. And afterwards, we got on the bus, and I took my first bus ride to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where, my, where some of my relatives already came. When I was 12, <clears throat> a friend invited me to ride a bus with him to Open Door Baptist Church. Aren't you glad for the bus ministry? Amen. We were um, running the buses yesterday in Michigan City, and it was wall-to-wall of snow. And uh, passing drivers, you know, they'll probably think we're crazy. Crazy for Jesus, right? Now, for as long as I can remember, I always wanted to know about God. I knew that deep down I was a sinner and I needed God to save me. I remember playing arcade games at the nearby grocery store. Now, you guys don't know this, remember this, but we had arcade games at grocery stores back then. You put in quarters. And uh, when I was a kid, I loved playing those arcades. Can you imagine that? 25 cents to play one game. Well, one day, I remember stealing money from my mom's coat. And I vividly remember that God convicted me of that sin, stealing money from my mom. I tried the religion of Buddhism, as most Cambodians did, but I did not find peace and forgiveness in it. And so I said yes. And the very next Sunday, the bus pulled up, and a lady named Miss Rose came and knocked on my door. Of course, as a typical bus kid, I was still asleep. <laughs> but I woke up, saw the bus, and I was super surprised to see that they actually came. So I gave them the phrase, just one minute. It turned into 10 minutes later. Hopped on the bus. Praise the Lord. I went to church. I rode the bus again the next two Sundays. And we sat in the back because I, we were late because of me. And I remember a man standing up preaching the gospel. And it was the very first time I heard about Jesus Christ. And it was like a light. And God saying, this is the way. On the third Sunday after church, while sitting on my, mom, my grandmom's bed, I bowed my head and accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I remember my cousin, who was sitting on a couch to my left, saying to me, well, you can't go to the temples anymore now that you're a Christian. I said back to her, well, if I can't go to the temples, at least I know I'm going to heaven. I continued to go to this church, and afterwards my siblings and cousins and friends started to come. It wasn't until I got baptized that I really started to grow in the Lord. We would go on nursing homes. We would do uh, soul winning. We even have a Cambodian study later on when I was there. Bless you. Um, give you a funny episode in, in Philadelphia, the inner city. Um, Pastor Olson, we had baseball bats underneath our vans um, for protection, just in case. One day, uh, during my sophomore year in high school, God made it known to me to attend a small Christian school that we had at our church. And let me back up a little bit. The high school that I went to was one of the best public high schools in the state. So when I asked my mom to attend this small, no-name, 12-people school, 
my mom was very hesitant. In her mind, and also in my mind at the time, I was going to be a doctor, a lawyer, my mom's hero. Finally, after much prayer and pleading, she allowed me to go. And this is where I learned about Fairhaven Baptist College through my youth pastor. After graduating, graduating, I applied to the college in the fall of 1998. <clears throat> Fast forward a little bit, I graduated in the spring of 2002, received my master's in the spring of 2003, and worked here on staff for a year. In 2004, Joe Bishop and I went on a mission trip to Cambodia. For originally one year, little did I know I ended up, be, I ended up being there for four years. And you can ask Mr. Bishop, those years of serving God were one of the best years of our lives. We ran truck routes. It wasn't bus routes. And our shuttles were motos. Okay? Now, these motos, I can't really explain to you guys. They're, they're smaller than a motorcycle, but bigger than a motor that you see here. And I have a picture, if you don't believe me, but, but I was able to fit seven kids on a motor with me. Three in the, three in the front and four hanging for dear life in the back. <laughs> I was the only one with a helmet on, so. I remember we had 40 to 50 kids packed in the back of a pickup truck with benches and a canopy. Those were the days. While here, I met my future wife. She started coming to church in Cambodia, riding what we consider on a bus route. Again, thankful for the bus route. What drew me to her was her love and service for God and her willingness to forsake her family to follow him. You see, in Cambodia, as Christopher and Nicole would know, it costs to be a true Christian. You will have family and, family, family and friends forsake you. And let me say this to young people. You better be careful who you marry. Marriage is the second most important decision in your life. And it's better to be single than to marry the wrong person. You marry the wrong person, they're going to take you off the track of following God. That was free, though, by the way. What if Mrs. Mitchell said no to Pastor Mitchell becoming pastor? What if Mrs. Armacar said no, I don't want to be a missionary's wife. I want to stay here. Be careful of marrying the wrong person. That wrong person will was, was soon see you start missing church, missing ministries, and finally live like God doesn't matter much at all. Through the process of getting my wife's visa and also having to go through some medical treatments for her, we didn't get back to America until the summer of 2008. We went back again in 2012 for a year, and during that time, God showed us that he wanted us to come back here and be a help to our church. Now, from then, in, from then until now, I have often prayed, and especially after every mission message, Lord, if you want us to go back, I am willing to go. And each time up to now, he has, says, he has said no, he wants us to be here. And even so, we, though we are not full-time service, it doesn't mean we should be no-time service. We have prayed and strived to be a blessing to our pastor and our church and not to be a hindrance. You are in Genesis here. We'll get to the message real quick. You are in Genesis. 
and the last 15 chapters of this book, we read about the life of Joseph. Now, when we talk about missions, we are talking about obeying God's command to carry the gospel to people everywhere, whether that be in your town, in a city, in a state, in a different country. Carrying the gospel is God's command to every single one of us in this room. You know, in the book of Acts, God commanded the disciples to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in their city, in their town, in, in Judea, in the other state, in Samaria, and uttermost parts of the earth. God might call you to be a missionary to Cambodia, or Estonia, Zambia, China, the Middle East. Or he might call you to stay here or be a layman at your local church. Everyone in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, we are called to be witnesses for God. But sadly, many don't go. Matthew 9 says, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. My daughter asked me the other day, Dad, when are we going to get more people to come help us in our church? I said, we already have the people here. Some just need to get more involved. The problem, just like in the beginning with the devil, is our will. Are you willing to go? Are you willing to obey God if he calls you? Now, yesterday morning was really cold. And it was tempting for people to miss church. And yet, you have thousands of people sitting at stadiums watching football games in the freezing cold. They don't have a problem going. We will do <clears throat> what we want to do. People say, I can't do God's will. What they're saying is, I don't want to do God's will. I believe that in the process of God calling people to full-time service, and in particular missions, People do not go because they have not bowed their knee to God's will. And today, that's what we're going to preach about here, bowing our knee to God's will. Young people, you will listen to someone. You will obey God or self and the devil, but you will listen to someone. Quickly, let's look at the life of Joseph and see how, God, how Joseph bowed his knee to God <clears throat> by his spirit, his service, and finally, his submission. He bowed his service to God. This is, this, is, this is like bowing your body to God. Young people, how's your service to God? When I came into college, I chose to be assigned to a bus route Saturday and Sunday. I didn't want to take it easy. I wanted to get my hands dirty. Did you listen to Pastor Armacost last night? He mentioned that the bus ministry is the best ministry that you could be on to prepare you for the mission field. You know why? It's hard work. You go out on Saturdays, Sundays. A lot of times you leave your room before your roommates. You come back after they're all done taking a nap. It's time consuming. But God says, go out in the highways and byways and compel them to come. The laborers are few. You know, without the, bus ride, I w the, without the bus route, I would not have gotten saved. My wife wouldn't have gotten saved. Some of you sitting in this room would not have gotten saved without the bus route. 
Praise the Lord that we belong to a church that is not lazy to go out and reach the lost. Have the compassion and love to reach the poor and needy. I know I was poor and needy. Look at Genesis chapter 39. If you go back, Genesis chapter 39, a couple chapters. Here we read, starting in verse 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought, brought him of the house of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was prosperous. He was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Verse 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his, on the line this, hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over, over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from that time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Verse 6. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. You get that? Joseph used his hands. He was a worker. He wasn't lazy. Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do. Do it with thy might. He was a worker. I remember at the age of 12, I started picking blueberries. I don't know if anybody here ever picked blueberries before. You did? Pick blueberries. With my mom every summer. With our father, I was the man of the house growing up. And we would pick blueberries to save up money. I learned a lot of valuable lessons picking blueberries. We would get up at sunrise, come back home close to sunset. It was hard work. Backbreaking. But I learned to persevere. I, broke, I probably broke a lot of labor laws doing that, especially now in our soft society. But God used that to teach me to be a hard worker, not to quit when things get rough. Joseph didn't quit on serving God. Even far away from his family, even unjustly being sold as a slave, he was a worker. Young people, in your life, <clears throat> there will be hardships. There will be um, a lot of pain and suffering, but don't quit. Secondly, bow your spirit to God. Bow your spirit to God. The Bible says that Joseph faced persecution and betrayal from his own family. You know, betrayal from, betrayal from your own family, that cuts deep and long. Your friends could betray you. Your enemies could betray you. But when your own family did, like Joseph, they cut deep. But he had a humble spirit. He had a, he had a persevering service, but secondly, he had a humble spirit. Listen, many times God's blessing comes with sufferings. The cross comes before the crown. Can you picture Joseph in that pit? When his brothers threw him down, begging for his life, pleading with them. Brothers, we are the same blood. And they didn't even listen. The Bible tells us that they sat down and ate food. Can you picture him being held in a slave market, being sold like a piece of item? Picture him being held in a dungeon, 
And even after helping the butler and the baker, two years, he forgot him. But Joseph had a humble spirit through all those hardships. Look at, look at Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40. <clears throat> I got to go quickly here. Genesis chapter 40. This is a story when Joseph was in jail and we got the butler and the baker. In Genesis chapter 40, verse 5. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man is in his dream in one night. Look at verse 6. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. Do you get that? Joseph wasn't selfish. They were both in jail, all three of them were in jail, but Joseph looked out for others. How's your spirit? How's your spirit when you get a demerit? You mad at that person? How's your spirit when your teacher corrects you? How's your spirit on the bus route in the nursing home? How's your spirit? Do you have a humble spirit? Lastly, in order to bow your knee to God, you have to completely surrender to him. And let me say this. <clears throat> the opposite of bowing down to God is being bitter to God. Joseph bowed the knee. He learned to surrender his life completely to God. But Jacob, Jacob was the opposite. When Pharaoh came to talk to him, he said, few and evil have been my days. When, when, his, when his brothers, Joseph's brothers came and, and begged Jacob to send him down to get some food, what did Jacob say? All these things are against me. He was bitter. But Joseph learned to bow his knee. Let me end my message by completing my testimony. <clears throat> Throughout my young life, even into college, I was bitter against God for allowing my father to die. In a room like this, I'm pretty sure there's bitterness in someone's heart. On Father's Day, <clears throat> I would write a card for him and then rip it up, throw it away. At times I would pray and <clears throat> that bitterness would go away, but it was still rooted deep in, within me. I didn't know much about my dad at all. <clears throat> Most of what I know of him I heard from my mom and uncles and aunts, his friends. And they all said he was a hardworking man who took care of his family. I paused at the moment when I was talking about when my dad died. Let me go back to that. <clears throat> a month after we came, he started having stomach pains. At first, he tried to ignore it, ignore it and continued to, to walk to work with my uncle. Finally, he was in so much pain, they took him in, and it was discovered that he had stage 4 liver cancer. Two months after he went in the hospital, he passed away, alone in a hospital. I, I, could, I always thought what he was thinking during those last days and hours. It was one of, if not the saddest day of my life that left my mom alone to raise her four young children in a foreign country. And can you put yourself, ladies, in my mom's shoes at that time? All that she went through, the pain, the sorrow, despair, 
that she had to feel at that day. Now, here's the hard part. One early morning, on a day or so after he passed, my mom woke me up. You know, if you wanted something so much, sometimes you dream about it. Right, guys? Sometimes you want that car, you dream about it. Ladies, you want that nice dress, or you want that guy to ask you out, you dream about it. So she woke me up, and she dreamt that my dad came back. She said, son, wake up. Wake up. Your dad's here. Go open the door for him. And as a six-year-old boy, oh, how I wanted him to come back. I went, unlocked the door, and opened it. And there was no one there. Fast forward to when I was a senior in college. <clears throat> my mom just bought a house. It was, my, it was my family's first house. And she was having a very hard time making payments. I desperately wanted to go back and help her. As the oldest son without father, <clears throat> you feel obligated to take care of your family. But I was stuck in college. And my bitterness started to spring back up. And I started to wrestle with God back and forth. Lord, why did you have to take my dad away? One night, I drove to Hawthorne Park, the park right here, a couple miles down the road. And listen to me, I was on the verge of quitting. Not a lot of people know this. Quitting college, quitting my Christian life, and going back to Philly to help my mom. That night, I begged God to tell me why. Why did he take my dad away? Why take him away at a time when we needed him so much? Why? You ever asked yourselves that? Pray that? I'm pretty sure you have. Why did my family have to struggle so much? Where was my father during my graduation? Where was he when I needed him? And at that moment, that night in my car, Bible verses came rushing in my heart. Listen, young people, in times of deep trials, your decisions better be based on the Bible. Don't go by your feelings. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We know that all things work together for good. Be still and know that I am God. I didn't realize that God, who spared not his son, was not unkind, nor did he make any mistakes. God loves us and chooses the best for us each and every time, in the good times and in the times that we think of that, I had no right, you have no right, to complain or lash out against a God that gave his son 
to die for us. They took care of us in each and every step. A God that knows what's best for us. So I stopped looking down and at myself, and I looked up to God. And I saw that he was always there for me. And that night, I bowed my knee, fully surrendered back to him. Young people, bitterness will cause you to quit serving God. Bitterness will cause you to have a bad spirit. And eventually, bitterness will cause you to say no to his will. In a room this size, I am sure there are young people that who do not serve the Lord like you should, that who do not have the right spirit like you should, and who are bitter against God. Surrender all that to the Lord. He has the best life possible for you. If only you bow your knee 